I didn't get the return offer from Facebook, so I was trying to get a job, right? In America, you have 90 days to get a job. And my first ever computer science professor, he was a director at a company. And so he made me an intern so that I could stay in America. That was like day 87 out of day 90. And when that has happened in your life, you're like, is this wall an actual wall or is it a wall of Legos? Every brick wall we see is a wall of Legos for somebody else. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Webflow and season two's first episode. Let's go. I'm your host, Jack, your failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Chisum Igwe. She first caught my attention when she made the most powerful and hilarious Webflow community grant video I've ever seen. Link in the show notes if you want to see that. It's in the style of Webflow University videos, but she applies for a community grant with wit and charm. But the fact she can do this is no surprise. She has a YouTube channel where she does tech interviews, career videos, like when she talks about her experience as a software engineer at Reddit, and about her time living in Ireland. Chisum is building a startup, Power to the Creators, alongside her full-time job working at Verve, a Webflow competitor. Ooh, very spicy. The failures we'll talk about today are not getting a return offer from Facebook, not being able to raise the funds to complete her second degree from college, and not being patient enough with her parents. So, embrace and learn from failure in episode 51 of Webflail with Chisum Igwe. Chisum, welcome to Webflow. Thank you so much, Jack. And you're too kind. Literally too kind. <laughs> I'm glad that I got the intro right. And you feel that at the start of the interview, because <laughs> now you're going to tell me all your deepest and darkest secrets. Oh my God. <laughs> there was this time that I committed a crime, then I fled to another country, and I'm wanted in like half the, <laughs> half the states in America. So... Well, this is the place to tell us all about that, live on air. So I want to start off by just giving people, you know, in that intro, it gives everyone a sense of all the different things that you do. But I mean, you have, you are prolific and you seem to have so many different interests and kind of creative outlets. What drives you? What drives me, I, I remember once when I was a child and I had this, it was when I went to boarding school in Nigeria and we have this thing called inter sports. I think we got it from the British. Am I right or am I wrong? We're different houses. We compete like Hogwarts and would compete for prizes. Yes. Oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. And sounds kind of similar. And what happened was that I, w- I always used to break the rules and I really didn't actually want to do any sport. I wasn't even athletic. I was athletic until 10. And then puberty did what it normally does, and I couldn't run it for the life of me. And I spent that time build, making a Valentine's Day card for my mother. My mother and I have had the most complicated relationship ever. But there was something about everybody being away, so I had the dorm to myself. And me being able to have this vision of what I thought this card would be was very complicated, 3D, very complicated card. I'm bringing that to life and actually getting it to flow before I knew what flow was. And I didn't know it then. But I realized all my life choices have been about having an idea in your head and being able to build it and bring it out, bring it into the world. That's literally why I became a software engineer. I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. I knew I shouldn't become a medical doctor because if someone annoyed me, I would just be like, well, it seems like you don't want to live. So good luck. And that's how they'll be dead. And I would have no remorse. I'll be like, they annoyed me. And I'll be like, yeah, it's a completely valid reason. So I remember just thinking, what can I do that allows me to build lots of different stuff? Uh, would allow me to have some money because I knew that I was the first child and I had to contribute at home. And I think I've just been motivated by being able to build and get stuff into the hands of people. And when I realized I could do that on the internet, anything that allowed me to build on the internet was something I was going to do. So if things that scale on the internet, media and code, so any type of coding or no code, anything that allowed me to build software on the internet, I was going to do. And anything that allowed me to ship media on the internet, I was going to do because I just love that, that time where you are coding and editing away and you know there's this idea you have in your head and you can finally bring it into the world so why do i work on so many different things because 
I still go back to that time where I was in my dorm alone and I was gluing all the pieces of cardboard together and I was like, just seeing that product in front of me, there was nothing like that. And I always want to be able to go back there and be like, I made this thing. Even some of my YouTube videos that I've taken way too long to make. I don't have nearly as many views as you'd imagine that they do. There's such deep work and admiration that I have for myself that I was able to take out the time to bring this to life and just pour out everything I had in making this video successful. So I think more than anything, I want to build stuff. Like I have this idea in my head that I have a podcast called Hot Girls Build Stuff because I don't see like women, like as many female communities about people who love the idea of like making things out of nothing. And basically I like to build stuff. I could go on and on, but that's my motivation. Yes. And if anyone that hasn't yet checked out your your YouTube channel, I definitely recommend that. It will be in the show notes because it's very clear you put a ton of effort into that. And if that is a side project, I can only imagine how much effort you put in to you know the, your main projects or where you're putting most of your time. Which brings me on to the question about your incredible startup that you're building. Now, you sent me a link before we started uh, recording, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing there? So I became a creator because I have this idea of the world called the Internet Dream. And it's basically this idea that America was this place where the crazy people who thought they could succeed could always move to. America was that place where, like, if you could A-B test for some kind of delusions of grandeur, just be like, did your ancestors move to America? That's like A-B test for, for how um, your ancestors behave. But the problem was that I moved to America. I was American educated, went to a very good school, had a very high paying job as a software engineer, but I could not stay in America. And it wasn't because I committed any crime or did anything wrong. It was intentionally broken immigration policy. The legal immigration policy in America is broken and people, and it is not a bug of the system is intentionally designed and politicians have no incentive to fix this broken system. And so I used to think to myself, if people do not understand the importance of America and the cultural zeitgeist of the world as a whole, America was this symbolic place of let's move west, let us go to green pastures, let us build something new away from the old systems. America was an exit from, from institutions that didn't work. And what would happen if this global exit, this global place where you could exit when you do not like the country you're in, has intentionally broken immigration policy. You have to find an exit from that. And I've been thinking about what is the greatest competitor to America? Like what can be the exit? If you do not, if you want to exit America, where could you exit to? I have lived in Ireland and Portugal and just, I don't know about the other European countries, but there is this like, in either one of those places, there's no place where I can be like, I want to build Uber for cats. And people be like, oh my God, I'll give you a billion dollars to build Uber for cats. And I was just thinking, what is the one place where you can actually ship and epitomizes some of the things we love about America? And that place is the Internet. And so I have this idea called the Internet Dream that for a lot of people who would have originally like moved to America for a better life, the first place they're going to exit to is the Internet. And the example I always use is called is Kaby Lame. I don't know if you know about him, but he's like the second most followed, or if not the most followed person on TikTok. His family leaves Senegal for him to have a better life. So they moved to Italy for him to have more opportunity and resources. But Italy has very strict immigration policy and he still is working at a construction site until lockdowns happen. And then they're like, oh, and he's fired from his job working at a construction site. And he starts making TikToks. And he does this thing that is so ingenious where he doesn't actually speak Italian or anything to the camera. He just uses gestures like a mime, basically to call out the absurd things we see on the internet. And he's so successful that now he actually has Italian citizenship. They literally... Where he was able to take the digital and change the physical thing, his physical circumstance. And I think Kabilane is just one example of how the world is changing. A lot of people don't know that, like, even for me who grew up in Nigeria, I grew up watching the Kardashians and Hannah Montana. I just got episodes later than my American friends. And I think, and my sister, who's an international student who goes to school in Ireland, I would be listening in, when she would be on online classes. And kids there sound California-ish. And I'm like, why do they sound this way? It's because they also grew up watching the Kardashians and Hannah Montana and all these shows. And I think we, we, do, we see this happening physically around us, how you are not in any country, but you can go down and down the street and you can eat Chinese food or Jamaican food or Italian food anywhere in any major city in the world. But I don't think we're really ready for a world where the person who you think lives in another part of the world can engage in the Internet or in the global economy seamlessly, no different from, from an American. And I always see that the next Mr. Beast is going to be Nigerian, Indian, or Nigerian, Indian, or Brazilian, just by virtue of the fact that 
that person probably be English speaking and be part of a new wave of people getting access to the internet. But I think the reason why you do excellent work on the internet is that there has been no game that you can play like the game of the internet. And I don't think enough people fully understand. I think for a lot of people, the internet is still kids dancing around. But no, it's like they're about to be, it's about to change the way we perceive the entire world and probably have impacts on the physical world too. I don't even remember the question you asked me, but like, this is just an idea I have in my head. Yeah. I think the reason why you're talking about that is because your incredible startup idea essentially democratizes creators and it completely levels the physical playing field, you know, the physical boundaries that people have to ensure that they can make waves in the online world to then the change their physical exactly. life. Is yes, that fair? exactly. So why I made part of the creator is that I realized I'm resourced in the sense of I was a software engineer. I still am to a very large degree and I could afford the expensive camera and all of that. And I could ex- afford the time to iterate quickly, to iterate and find some kind of flow in YouTube. But I was like, what if I gave a suite of tools driven by AI to everybody who wanted to be a creator? So like a podcast tool for parts of the creators would be if you are inviting somebody to their podcast, have a PDF version of all their books and actually upload it to parts of the creator to help you generate questions so you don't need as much of a producer. The hope with parts of the creators is to, Mr. Beast has somebody to help him come up with video title ideas, to make him have millions of thumbnails, to basically make sure he has an army of people behind him to make excellent content. What if I give that to everybody using AI so that more people could build for the internet, which is far more of a fairer place than any other part of the world? Like, I always remind myself that on the internet, all links are equal. Like, nobody has a superior link than another person's link. And we are all judged based on quality of the work we put out. And so part of the creator is basically meant to give a regular person who wants to start this creator journey, which one in four kids in America want to become creators, which shows you that there is a demand for this. But the only tools on the market, vidIQ and TubeBuddy, just exist for a YouTube world that no longer exists. Like even the way that like you, the, and like one of these um, websites, you pick your competitors in your space. But if I want to buy a phone, I would watch an MKBHD video, but I would also watch another video from another YouTuber about that phone. So if that YouTuber said MKBHD is their competitor, that is an absolute lie because the best thing that can happen to that YouTuber is after MKBHD's video to be the video that's recommended next. So I felt like a lot of the tools on the creator market are terrible and I wanted to make the tool that actually gave anybody who wanted to become a creator, a suite of tools to have, just to be able to become a powerful, profitable creator. And last but not least, but for some creators in parts of America, they need to make above minimum wage. But if you're a creator in some parts of the global South and you make $100 a month from YouTube AdSense, that is a lot of money depending on which country you're in. So my part, my goal with parts of the creators is to give everybody the army of employees that like Mr. Beast has, but using AI, like I imagine a world where if you're writing a script for a video or, and you know that in that video, it has like a web flow reference. There can be an automatic affiliate link generated for you. So you don't need to go to all these websites and sign up for affiliate links, but that won't be for web flow. I'd also imagine a world where if you are a podcaster and you know you're preparing this interview to interview somebody, not only can you upload their books as PDFs, but you can also reference other videos they're in and be like, I want something different from this. So I can go on and on, but I think... I want to live in a world where anybody in any part of the world can make for the internet. And I want to give them the tools to do so because the current tools on the market are shitty. Wow. Boom. Powerful stuff. That's epic to hear. Like, that's really, really inspiring. And it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you don't really think about how there are boundaries that are set up by governments, which are essentially just a set of made-up rules, which of you know that (laughs) which the internet kind of you know negates those rules by virtue of it being kind of an open pixelated playground i am very intrigued to see how this startup goes i'm hoping to launch something really soon but more than anything i just i think creators are are so wonderful do you know how crazy it is that like you had this idea in your head and somehow me and you are talking on this Riverside, like it's, it's, we, we forget how wonderful it is to be able to make something and have everybody from every part of the world be able to interact with it. When I was at Reddit, it never failed to amaze me that on this side, there were like 500 million unique monthly viewers and people from any part of the world could interact on Reddit equally. And I just, I think we forget because of how the internet is, how 
amazing of a tool it is, especially if you were born at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think a lot of people have this view of immigration where it's like you have to keep the the undesirables out, which I truly understand that. I'm not one of those people with like open borders for every single person. No, I'm not. It makes sense for people to want to police their borders. But I don't think people understand that immigration policies do not work in the way they are meant to work. If the if their policies were to keep the if the undesirables, the people who break laws and rules, they are not doing that. Those people are getting in. The people who they're keeping out are those who actually want to build like a better life and actually contribute to the society. And I'm not sure of perfect immigration reform or policy across every part of the world. But when you see how broken like legal work immigration is in America, then you realize, oh, every time they talk about immigration in America, they're not hoping to actually solve a problem. They're doing it to stir up roots. So I'm going to shut up. I'll let you ask your next question. No, I mean, it's really important to, to talk about this. And I feel like, you know, I want you to have the space on this podcast to, to talk about things that you know, matter to you because that's that's ultimately what's going to you know impact the guest who's listening now. So it's really important. I really just to to say though that you know this idea of essentially creating a tool that empowers creators wherever they are to make whatever life they want, regardless of their physical location. I think is is a really noble goal. And hey power to you i really really hope that that comes comes together as you want it to just to ask you a little bit about how you how you then got into webflow i mean you've got obviously coding expertise and then when did webflow come into your come into your path and and kind of how did that manifest itself i think it's when i realized that oh you you know how to code and you know how to edit how can you code faster that was literally it and I was like, oh, there are these new cool tools on the market. And Webflow just has such a robust library. Like you cannot escape how well done the educational content is. Like you cannot escape it on Webflow, on the internet. So I learned Webflow because I wanted to be able to ship faster on the internet. And I was like, if I want to ship faster, I need a, a, another tool to do so. And that's how I learned Webflow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so when did when did Vev come to you with a job? Because that's an amazing... It, like turn out I as know well. it was after the Webflow video and the CTO of Vev was like oh we need somebody to actually make educational like content or content for our company because Vev is doing something that's so unique from like Webflow in a sense of yes they are both new pool tools but Web is far more Vev is far more intuitive and far more designer friendly like it's very drag and drop like if you carry over a header you can literally put it at any part of the page you don't need to do all the grid alignments that we do at Webflow which sometimes can drive you crazy but another thing is that when you have, if you're working with like a college or with a big e-commerce website, they already have a CMS located somewhere else. And the last thing we want to do is like duplicate that in Webflow or have another source of that. So another thing that Vev does is that it allows you to source your CMS from any part of the web. So that way you can actually build for companies that do not want a separate CMS from, where, from what they actually are building for their website. And I think that's so remarkable because I realize so many designers are leaving money on the table because these websites want to use their, their core CMS. They do not want to be able to have another one in Webflow, but there are no tools for that. And they actually, or the developers or designers do not know that there's a tool for that. And that tool is Web. And so far, the team has been just an extraordinary team and we're, and we're building out new features. In fact, we actually have a Learn Hub that's coming out soon to make it easier. But more than anything, if you're a designer, who wants to expand the list of clients you can work with to also include things like colleges, like in large institutions, Vev is there for you because one, it's SEO, it's better with SEO because a lot of times when you import components in other websites, you do it via iframes. And iframes are good in some sense, but in another way, when you import something via iframes, it stops being searchable by the web. So it now reduces SEO. Another thing is that iframes are a little bit heavy, which now makes this, the site to actually be a little slower. And Web doesn't actually have those problems. But more than anything, it is so much easier for designers. And Web is built to be so much more intuitive for designers. And secondly, you can actually work with clients who have their own CMS and want to reference that only. So I think those are like a lot of the selling points of Web. And he reached out to me after the video. And it's been awesome so far working with the team. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And your contact stuff will be in the, the show notes if anyone wants to reach out. But it's fascinating that off the back of you 
making a video for Webflow, <laughs> Vev were like, hey, 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 come over here, come over here. So, but it just goes to show that, you know, you putting yourself out there in a big way in terms of and all the content stuff that you're doing has been insanely powerful for you in your creator journey and your career. Because I think a lot of the time people are like, no, yeah, I, I like, I don't want to put myself out there. Like, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really like that. Like, that's not really what I want to do. But what would your advice be to someone that's thinking, like, I don't really know if I want to put myself out there and I don't really want to make content. Do you think it's a really powerful thing to do and would you recommend it for others? You know, I always tell myself, like, I, I tell everybody around me, I'm a, an ashamed attention whore. Like, I love my glasses because they give me attention. I am just like, you know, everybody give me attention. And I say all this because I think there is this shame that comes with putting yourself out there. Like, how dare you want to be in front of the entire stage or feel like you should be listened to in any way, shape, or form. One, always know that you are, you will never be, I don't know how to describe what I'm about to say, but I'll use the example that I always use. Doja Cat right now is one of the most, like, successful new artists to come into the industry but if you looked at her videos from two, three years ago, there's always this picture that people use to make fun of her, especially her hair. And then I always tell my friends, they're like, you're never going to be Doja Cat of today that can command lots of money for her music videos and all of that if you're not badwig Doja Cat. And you have to be willing to be badwig Doja Cat. And the same, we've had badwig Beyonce. Every single one of your favorite artists at the beginning was like terrible. And I think that just allows me to like put myself out there because you're not going to have Google that gets... That is up. Like, do you know if Google were ever down, we would think there's something broken about the internet. Google is up 99.99999% of the time, some 5-9 number, without have been Google in the early stages that probably wasn't as reliable, probably wasn't as good, and probably wasn't as efficient. So one of the reasons why you should put yourself out there is that you actually just start the journey of getting good. And if you know that in the beginning, you're kind of meant to be terrible, just like a tap that gets rid of like bad water when you haven't turned it on in a long time, you need to get rid of your bad videos. You need to get rid of your bad essays so that the good ones actually come. So one, be an unashamed attention whore. The internet economy is such that even if you posted your the link to like a video you made like a million times with a Twitter algorithm, your friends are probably only going to see it once. So this idea that everybody's like watching and everybody thinks I'm cringe or something, first of all, I've never really cared about being cringe because as long as you're watching me, it's okay if I'm cringe. Okay. But two, it's that you don't know actually what the algorithm is showing people. And I think because it's your feed and your timeline, you too, people hyper-focus on what they see, but not what people um, around them sees. See? Okay. And then the third thing is you just need to get your bad videos out. You will eventually become Beyonce of something, but you have to go through your Destiny's Child days. And I, and I always realize that when I look back at my life, I am 27 and I haven't lived too long, but I've lived long enough that I look fondly at when I was broke as hell in college. And I just wish in those moments I had not been so worried about money and I had just enjoyed my college career. And I think what will end up happening is that you will look fondly at those early YouTube videos of yours and be like, oh my God, I was so fucking cringe. They were right, but I'm so grateful I kept on doing it. So I think more than anything, be unashamed. There are far more mediocre people on the internet putting themselves out there. And just know that you are going to get better, but you have to start. So I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an attention whore, so... That is what Webflare is all about. Accepting failure and then pushing through that to then become successful. I, th I found that the most successful people are all the ones that brush off critics in the early stages. They just do whatever they're going to do. And every time, you know, they, they maybe don't quite hit the mark or what they expect, that's just a data point for them to learn from, improve basically just get a better wig every time to use the Actually. dojo to yeah exactly i mean you're gonna have more resources you're gonna have you know more and more momentum and i would also say to just add to that point is that you don't want loads of people watching at the start like i think people get put off too early and they're yeah. like no one no one's watching my content no one cares like what's the point you don't want people watching that stuff at the start because you are in training. Like, you're not good yet. So, yeah. you know, that's pr maybe partly why that people aren't watching it or consuming the content in the way that you maybe hoped that they would. But that is fine because they will when you are good, yeah. um, in my opinion. So, And I was about to say something regarding that is that 
whenever people start out YouTube today, they go and try to find those old Mr. Beast videos because that gives them so much encouragement. And nobody goes onto that like early Mr. Beast video and is like, oh my God, you were so fucking cringe. No, they're like, wow, he has come so far. So give them something to say, oh my God, she's come so far from. Like I, whenever I see tech videos and you go to that early MKBHD video where he's literally a child, he probably still finds that to be a little cringe. There's something about seeing younger you and hearing your voice. You're like, oh my God, I cannot stand this voice. But for people now that we've seen his success, we're like, wow, this is such an amazing thing. So also realize that you are doing another person a favor in future by, by going on because tomorrow they will look back at your early videos and be like, wow, the person has come so far. And literally, I've been doing, I've been making content for two years and my earliest video, I look back and I'm like, wow, I have come so far. I'm so proud of myself. So don't worry, the cringe thing will just go away. Like, don't worry about that. Make what you want to see in the world. Make what you want to see in the world. Mm. Okay, we got so many clips for social media. You come in hot. Okay, let's talk <laughs> about your failures then. So, failure number one, not getting a return offer from Facebook. I know. Okay, so let me let me set the stage for you. Let me set the scene. I had I was I was in my final year of college. Actually, let me we'll go like a couple of years earlier. I was in college in the States and I'm Nigerian. And in my four years of college, Nigeria goes into two recessions. In its first recession, I miss a semester and I'm trying to get two degrees in five years. So after I come back that semester, my advisor, who's literally like top of our science department, is like, geez, I'm trying to get a math degree is hard enough. You're trying to get two, like a math and a computer science degree from the University of Notre Dame. We had a program with them. She was like, You're like you cannot fit this into the schedule. I think it's best you focus on one degree. Because I was like 17, 18, 19, one of those ages where you just think you're indestructible. I was like, you know what? Give me as many classes as possible. I will find a way to get to to get those two degrees. And what ended up happening is in America, your maximum amount of credits you can take for a semester is 18 credits. But because of my situation, I was taking 21, 22, like an obscene amount. I was now working the legal 20 hours a week that an international student could work on campus. I was now like doing hair on the side to make some more money. I was doing whatever I could do. So imagine you're taking 22 classes, 22 credits between two colleges. You are working 20 hours a week. You're making hair on the side. You are doing so many things. And then in my last semester, this is the time the second recession happens. And literally no foreign currency was leaving the country. And I was like, what am I going to do? Because I've worked so hard and I'm this close to graduating. So what ended up happening was by two weeks into the semester, like before then, I go to the president of my college and I explain to her, look, I am a woman in STEM. I am in one of those high earning degree degrees. And at this point, I, I didn't know if I, I forgotten if I already had the internship, but basically I was like, if you let me register with my over whatever I owed from the previous semester, when I graduate, I'll be able to pay it back. You can hold my transcript till I pay it back. And then literally two weeks into the semester, at this point, I've given up. I'm like, I have to go back to Nigeria. Like, there's nothing that can happen. The president reaches out to me and is like, I search your situation, you can register. And so I register for classes. And literally between that, hearing that news and like two weeks later, I get my internship at Facebook and uh, I win a hackathon. And the funny thing is that when I'm at Facebook, because actually before I leave for Facebook, it is graduation day and that is on a Saturday or a Sunday. And Facebook is on the following Monday. And literally my flight out to Facebook happens a couple of hours towards the end of graduation. So I couldn't even stay to the end of my graduation ceremony. I had to leave early to get on the flight to go to Facebook. And when I am at the Facebook campus, it's like everything I missed being broke four years of college now comes to the forefront because I realized, you know, just like anything in life, you need to have those moments where to become good at something, you need to have those moments where your skills are like pushed to their limits and you feel like you're stuck at this problem and do them enough times to become really great at that skill. And I really didn't have that with coding because I was trying to survive. Like I was working so many hours. So if like a project was too hard, I just did not have the time to spend on it. I needed to find the answers and just move on. So I wasn't as good of a programmer as I would want to be, as I wanted to be. And what happened was at Facebook, there was this Harvard student on my team. And this boy, I think he grew up in the base. So he grew up in the entire tech ecosystem, like you and I could be talking and he could be talking to me and he would still be coding as he was talking to me. So not only was I like struggling in this internship and just overwhelmed with how large Facebook is, I think like the Facebook campus, people hear Facebook campus and they don't know how large it is. 
it is obscenely large. Like it is, it is, I am so grateful that I got to see tech at its peak where like Facebook had so much money and so many resources. Like on campus, there were so many different stores. There was a ramen like shop. There was a salad shop. Like it was like they had a vending machine for everything you needed tech, like phone chargers, phone cords, everything. You just put your badge and you get it. Like that's how much money Facebook was printing at that time. So I was so overwhelmed with moving to the Bay, dealing with Facebook, knowing that we were coding in three new programming languages and I knew none of them. And then you now have the Harvard kid on my team. And I know the manager was trained on not on how not to compare the, the interns, but like it becomes so ridiculous that you can't even compare them. And I felt so ashamed that like as a black woman in tech, and I felt like I was seeing black people, I was seeing women in tech. I just, I didn't get a return offer. And I just felt so bad because I felt like I was giving this once in a lifetime opportunity and I failed at it. And I look back and I'm still so grateful I had Facebook because sometimes in life, we really need things that like break our ceiling. It's so, I remember when I joined Reddit eventually and I was talking to somebody I deeply admire and I was telling him about how I never made this much money in my life. I wasn't making too much money, but like I was a new grad software engineer in the Bay Area. And he literally looked at me and said, you're not even making any money. And the reason why he said that, it wasn't in a rude, rude dismissive way. It was the fact that like at every point, it is so important that if you have somebody that can help you break your ceiling, so I never knew there was a world like Facebook where you could make a shit ton of money. Like, you know, like, I remember my intern salary because it was so obscene. When I was an intern at Facebook at that time, I was making eight grand a month for three months. But Facebook was paying for my housing. And I didn't get shitty housing. They had one of these, like, fully furnished apartments where you'd have, like, somebody come and clean your apartment every two weeks. Like, it was just obscene. And I was like, oh, my God, there was so much money in the world. And you just have to be at the right place at the right time and have skills that people are willing to pay you for to be able to tap into that amount of wealth. So it, I just felt so bad feeling like I had this opportunity and I just failed at it. And so I just did an obscene amount of marijuana because it was California marijuana was decriminalized or was legal, one of the two at that time. Yeah, it was not fun, but I, I feel like, you, you know, you have no regrets because everything kind of works out well. But even when I did not get if Facebook, like uh, not, um, a return offer from Facebook, I realized that I wanted to still be in the Bay because there was no other place where people, where there's so much wealth and people are so enthusiastic like the Bay Area. Wow. Okay. I just want to bring up some key points there. One story that I think really stands out is that, have you heard of this story of the watch where the dad, there's there's this old watchmaker and he has this old antique watch and he, he says to his daughter, go, go and see how much money you can get for this watch if you go to this antique shop and it's worth like, you know, loads and they, they can tell the craftsmanship of that watch. And then she's like, okay, go and see if you can flog this to a, like a pawn shop, like a, you know, thing that you can get money for gold. And it was worth like a fraction of the price. And the lesson is that essentially that same watch is worth completely different amounts depending on where that, you know, who you're surrounded by and, and whether they can realize that value of of that object and it sounds like you didn't really realize your own value until you went to facebook and you were like oh my god like i'm worth so much more than i realized i was the ceiling has been just absolutely shattered for you because you're like oh my god i'm getting 8k a month i'm so valuable here in this location and all my enormous effort is is really worth something but then to not get that job again, it was kind of like, wow, my ceiling's broken. That was an amazing experience, but I'm kind of crushed because I feel like I've had the opportunity of a lifetime here, which hasn't come to pass because of various different, I mean, it sounds like this guy who had grown up in the Bay Area had an instant massive advantage over you. I mean, I'm sure he had a crazy amount of confidence. Maybe he had contacts, all of that stuff. And and maybe also you just weren't quite ready for that role at the time in comparison to, you know, someone that had grown up there. I'm not sure. But either way, it sounds like tons of learning and actually a really, really healthy experience overall. Yeah. You know, like now that I have the, the privilege of time, I know that my manager also wasn't prepared to have a, somebody underneath him. And this is something a qualm I have with the way we choose managers in tech is that we give inexperienced managers to people who are not experienced with management. While the 
what you should actually do to inexperienced managers or people who want to become managers is give them to people who have experienced good management. And I wish as an intern, I knew to say, oh, my manager wasn't actually very good in helping me do well in this thing. But it's also like my manager was like this Russian dude who had grown up coding and used to do coding competitions at 15. So not only did I probably look mediocre, but probably his ceiling was for code was far higher than what I like a regular coder was. He was literally winning like statewide coding competitions at 15. So I was just way, I was punching way above my weight class, just generally as somebody in that space. And I hate, I hate the word imposter syndrome because sometimes you are actually an imposter. Like you are so out of your league and it's, you just actually need to learn how their work functions to fit in. It doesn't mean you remain an imposter forever, but it, sometimes it's not internalized. It's actually a thing. Like I'm here dealing with people who have been coding since they were like children, like little children. I started coding when I started college. I am an imposter in their myths, but I can learn and become better. So, yeah. I, I really like what you said there about imposter syndrome, because I think a lot of the time, if you're feeling like an imposter, why? It may well be because you have the skill set, but don't have the confidence. That is, you know, a fair point. But at the same time, if, you're, if you feel like an imposter, sometimes it's because you are not at the level you feel like you need to be at with the people that surround you. And that is totally fine in itself. Like, that means, okay, what do you need to do in order to get the same skill sets as these people? Study. Exactly. Have practical experience. You know, speak to people who are ahead of you and understand what they did to get to where they are. And that is fine. But I think sometimes people just say, oh, I feel like an imposter. And actually, it's because, it's because they are and they're not taking action to actually get to get, you know, steps ahead in order to be comfortable in the environment they that they find themselves in so harsh but true i would say and i think there's something so deeply liberating about being like i am validly an imposter but i can learn how to fit in if i get more skills and more knowledge and more experience versus oh i just feel like an imposter if i know i'm going into an environment if i like knew intuitively she said, you are going into an, an environment where your manager has been coding since he was eight and was winning coding competitions, nationwide coding competitions in Russia at 15. And the other intern is literally a Harvard kid that can code while he's talking to somebody else. So his, his brain is working on far more cores than you are. One, I think that would have allowed me to be kinder to myself because I would have been like, I'm starting the race so much more behind than these people. It, is, it makes sense that they're better than you. But two, it also means that I could get there eventually versus this like, nebulous feeling thing of just feeling like an imposter when you have the skills i feel nothing like that when i know I'm, i have skills like i show up and i think that's one of something missing deeply from the imposter syndrome conversation i love that when you have skills you show up and you know if you if you don't have those skills then maybe you do have feelings where you're like okay let's analyze these feelings let's work out how we can get past them but yeah i think it's a really really important thing to say Tell me about failure number two then, not being able to raise the funds to complete your second degree from college. So after I knew that, kind of knew I wasn't going to get the return offer, I still had like 25k in debt from the previous semester. And so I needed to figure out how I was going to get that covered so I could get my transcript and finish my degree from Notre Dame. So how it was, it was a five-year degree, but you would start off your year at my all-women's college and you take all your classes there. And the next year, you take some classes at the University of Notre Dame, but over overwhelming at my all-women's college. And gradually, you do that until your fifth year. And by that time, you've graduated from the all-women's college and you're taking all your classes at the University of Notre Dame. So basically, in my all-women's college, I was a sophomore. That's the second year. But at Notre Dame, I was a freshman. And then in my, and that's how it was. So I was trying to raise the funds, which, you know, I'm so, you know, when you look back at experiences and you're like, I don't know what gave me the audacity, but when you put yourself in such a tight corner and you know success is one way and you just know you have to succeed, you become so much more creative. And so I was like, I explained my situation to somebody who was in charge of the alumni network at Notre Dame. And I just started reaching out to lots of wealthy Notre Dame alumna in that area. And it's and I realized that I must have been so fucking bold and courageous because here I am, this little starving African child, because most people don't know this, but one of the reasons that a lot of people do not succeed is familial obligation. So even when I was earning money from Facebook, I still had to take care of my family. I've always had to take care of my family. And so I had to reach out. I started reaching out to wealthy Notre Dame alumni because I don't think this happens in colleges in Europe nearly as much. 
But if you go to one of these big football schools in America, like alumni pride is such a big thing. Like during Notre Dame football season, when it, if there was a home football match, the bus system in South Bend area would stop running because there was literally no point in the bus running because so many people are in town. And so what I did was I reached out to so many alumna from Notre Dame and I was like, I'm this African child that has done this, this and this. If you gave me a personal loan, like I would pay back, blah, 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 blah. And I realized that that was the most crazy request I've ever done, but I wasn't able to raise the funds. However, I did actually end up meeting some crazy people like the San Francisco 49ers, the president of that organization or something like that, the person who owns it. Yes, the owner of it. He is like, in Notre Dame, we have this building called DeBartolo Hall. And I think DeBart is some kind of art architectural hall. And his grandparents were the people who the hall was named after. So they probably dropped a shit ton of money to go to that school. And I got to be able to meet him and I would have scheduled an appointment with him. But he was just so busy because it was football season and it was training season. So I was never able to raise the money and I just had to start working. And I worked so hard because I just felt like having that computer science degree in my back pocket would be so helpful for me in the job market versus just a math degree. But everything worked out well. I, I feel like, yes, those are like failures. But the fact that I at like 21, 22, I knew nothing about raising funds and I was able to put myself out there. You know, like I realized that a source of my confidence isn't isn't achieving things. It is actually just having a good reputation with myself. And the reputation I have with myself is that I'm somebody who shows up for myself all the time. Like I am going to show up. If I take an L, I take an L. Nobody has ever died from taking L's. Literally nobody. So, but I know that no matter what circumstance I'm in, I will fight my hardest and I will do my best. And so is it a failure that I didn't raise the money to get my computer science degree? Technically, but like, damn, like I am so grateful because I am, how old I am? Am I 27? And now that I'm trying to raise money for parts of the creators, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had the audacity I had when I was 21, 22. But I'm so grateful I sent out those emails and I fought so hard to get that degree. And you know what? Like now, now my entire life, life goal has changed. My goal is to be so successful that I get like an honorary one. And they're like, you know what? Just give it a degree because it's better we have her as an alumna than not. So that's like just the entire arc of the experience was an adventure. Wow. Okay. So wait, backtrack. You are someone that has learned to like get through the craziest problems and as a result you have the confidence to approach people ask them for what you need and you know what you need as a result like i think something that something that i've noticed in the webflow space is the people that seem to do best have very very clear boundaries with clients like they know when enough is enough they know when to say no and they also aren't afraid to ask people for help when they need it. Like, they aren't afraid to say, I don't know how to do this, but you do. Can we have a conversation? Let's jump on a call. Let's da-da-da. And they're good at, like, essentially knowing where their limits are, knowing when they need to pull in help, and asking for that help. Because sometimes people, because of pride and whatever else, are like, oh, no, I don't really know if I should ask them or whatever. You learn from a very early age... I've got a problem. I need to fix it. I'm just going to go and do it or ask people who know more than me or have the resources to help. And that is such a valuable skill to, to learn. So, wow. Yeah, I just think, I think when I was in college and that woman literally called me up two weeks into the semester and I'd kind of given up and I was just going to plan on what I would do when I returned back to Nigeria, I realized that you could bend reality to your will. Like, I think from that age, at that point in my life, I was 21, 22. I started college at 17, so 21. And I realized that every brick wall we see is a brick, is a wall of Legos for somebody else. Or you can become that person to make it a, a wall of Legos that you can push through. Like, I don't know if you saw in the news, like a couple of months ago, actually it was during lockdown time, that there was a bridge in one, in a country and Jeff Bezos' super yacht needed to go through, and they were going to dismantle that bridge for, for Jeff Bezos. And I was just thinking, they weren't going to dismantle that bridge for you, or not, like for, for me, they were not going to do that, or for every regular person, but for Jeff Bezos, they would. And I realized that a lot of people don't understand in life that if you have enough leverage, if you are compelling enough, if you act like literally like a hero in a movie, you'd be surprised how people would be willing to help you, and how you can literally like force the hand of faith in your life. 
Like, I remember when I, I was like, oh my God, I didn't know if I was going to graduate. So I went to my advisor's office. She had been the person who had seen my journey. And she literally just started crying. I'm like, yeah, like this middle-aged lady is just crying in my office. And she's just like, because I know how hard you've worked. And I remember when I, I didn't get the return offer from Facebook. So I was trying to get a job, right? In America, you have 90 days to get a job. And my first ever computer science professor, he's my mentor till today. Like I always call him when I have problems. He, you know, like he has a PhD in math. And I always tell him he's my doctor. And he's like, I'm not that kind of doctor. I'm like, you deal with all my like mental predilections. You're that kind of doctor. And when it was like, and he literally created a job for me because he left academia and was a director at a company. So he made me an intern so that I could stay in America. And that was like day 87 out of day 90. So literally I got a job three days before I had to leave America. And I think it's just like, when that has happened in your life, you're like, oh my God, is this wall an actual wall? Or is it like a world of Legos? And can I just figure out how to like dismantle the wall in front of me? Like, I think once I discovered that I didn't have the language for it, but the more I live, I realize that every single thing around you, like that's your job school was made by somebody like not that smarter than you. And I think it hits you more when you live like in a very old, like historic European city, because you actually see like 200 or 300 year old buildings that are like beautiful, that are majestic. And we don't make those kinds of buildings anymore. And you're like, was this thing crafted by like gods or something? But no, it was crafted by like regular, regular people who had big visions and brought it to life. And you're like, oh my God, if these people are regular, regular, they don't have the internet, they don't have the resources you have, they probably didn't even have fucking toilets, you can actually make something greater. And so I think if there is a key motivation, motivation for my life, it's that I have seen how it is to be, like I always say like, why were you helping, I, I asked my mentor, why did you help this like poor starving African child? Like literally that's how I used to describe it. And he was like, I saw you work so hard and I wanted you to succeed. And whenever I like every morning when I pray, I'm like, I couldn't write the story of my life. I'm not that, that creative in any way. But I remember a video where somebody said, when you write a character or when an, an author starts writing a character, sometimes the character becomes so compelling that they write their own stories, that it becomes greater than what the author actually anticipated for them. Or sometimes you watch like a TV show and this person that was meant to be a side character in season one ends up being like a fan favorite and ends up being written more into future seasons. And so I navigate life like, I cannot write my story. Like, I can't even, like, I sometimes I have this thing that, like, I'm like, God is some kind of HBO writer that's, instead of me thinking my life was going to be like a Hallmark movie, this God is trying to write succession into everybody's lives. And I'm like, how am I going to respond to this HBO writer? And I'm just like, you know what? Be as compelling of a hero as possible so that, like, God has no other, like, choice but to write a compelling story for you. So that's just how I, like, I navigate life. I'm an imposter sometimes, yes, but will I fight my hardest? And if I take an L, I'll just get over it and move on. But it's just to be such a compelling character in life and to move with that kind of gusto and just to believe that people will help you and be kind to you and make things um, work out for you. And to just realize that like everything is a block of Legos for somebody else. And I'm telling you, that thing has just changed my life. Like I just do things now because I'm like, you know what? I always like when I pray, I'm like, God, you can't have made it possible for me to like gone through everything I've gone through and still tell me that the best is behind me. No, I need greater stories than the things I've experienced. So I'm like, if you have experienced like forcing the hand of faith in your life, so surviving two recessions, taking care of your entire family, like doing all that, working at Facebook, at Reddit, I cannot believe that the best is behind me. So there has to be greater in front of me. So I have to respond with even more energy, more enthusiasm, more courage than I have in the past. And yeah, that's just how I navigate life. Yeah. God will not make his works manifest through cowards. Well, literally, just the episode behind me. Yeah. And it's insanely powerful. This idea of being the captain of your ship. Like, no one's going to steer that ship for you. Like, you need to... Um, you need to be the driving force in your own life in order to have things happen that maybe you never even thought were possible. But if you see the world like Lego, then you realize that actually you can move the bricks and construct whatever life you want. So insanely powerful lessons learned there. God, I want to speak to you every week. I'm thinking I've got a therapist, yeah. but maybe I should change my therapist. Do you, do you <laughs> offer, are you on better help by any chance? Uh, we can all talk to my mentor. He's like, literally he's on WhatsApp. I'm like, I'm going through a mental crisis. He's like, okay, what time do you want us to talk? He's like, has a PhD in math. 
and that's why, like, God is some kind of HBO writer because you couldn't write this shit. Like, a normal person wouldn't write that, oh, this person with a PhD in math has this Nigerian girl that messages him every three months where she's going through a crisis to solve her problems. But that is life. I have this quote that we are all raw dogging life, and it is terrifying to know that, but it's also deeply liberating to know that, like, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, don't worry, they are all going through life for the first time, too. So do what you need to do. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea. And if anyone is in the, the Webflow space, because I think if we were to bring it down from, from Elon Musk and your maths tutor with a PhD, essentially that your freelance career, I think this is a really important thing for people to hear just from, from the Webflow side of things. It's like you can be whatever freelancer you want to be in, in the sense that we are in a digital world you know making digital things for you know by virtue of of creating websites you you can from wherever you are create create the the life you want to a certain extent and that's why webflow is so exciting and and other no code and and low code builders are obviously as well but i just think that's really important to emphasize because i think this whole episode has given it well inspired me tons but also hopefully listeners who are like oh, but I'm, you know, located here. I, I can't do that. Well, no. I mean, that that's really what you're saying, that you can, you're not a tree, like, rooted to the ground. You can move. You can dictate the life you want to a certain extent. And yes, there are going to be roadblocks, but you can either look at them as concrete or you can look at them as Lego. Yeah. You know, like, I'm reading the book by Lee Kuan Yew, who, and he talks about, this is a book on making Singapore. And... From an early age, you can see that this man was just forward moving. He was literally in Singapore when Japan invaded and he got to experience Jap um, Singapore under Japanese rule. And you could just, if there was one thing I could boil down from Lee Kuan Yew's life so far in the book, is that I don't think in his mind he had this idea he was going to be the person shaping Singapore when he was like 12, 10 or 15, however, how young he was. But he was like, where am I at? What do I have and what can I do? When under Japanese rule, he started selling this gum thing because he was like, this is what I have and this is what I can use to make money under Japanese rule. At every point, he was consistently looking at him, his circumstances and making the next best logical step. And there's so something about so wonderful about seeing a man who built such a great country when he's literally like a teenager trying to figure out life. And you realize, oh, maybe some people knew they would be great political states, states people. But like sometimes all you just need to know is like the next step like the next step and just seek out opportunities and put yourself in difficult circumstances. And I think that is enough. So yeah, you could be at the wrong part of the world, the wrong circumstances in such terrible situations. That's literally why I'm making part of the creator because I'm like, I, the, the thing about technology that I deeply love is that everything we want about equality, quality in education, equality in healthcare, we're actually getting the complete opposite like outcomes. Healthcare is getting more expensive everywhere. Education is just like, we want in a world where everybody has like a Harvard education, but the reality is that lots of schools are failing globally. But educate and both technology is such that the price of um, an entry-level smartphone has been decreasing over the years. The price of a TV has been decreasing over the years. We literally are making with a phone. You have I, I I always tell people I Jeff Bezos Elon Musk we're all using the same smartphone. We're all using the same iPhone. Yes, theirs probably has like seven layers of security on it. And mine is like, if you want to hack me, it's like literally just open. You can take whatever you want there. But like, there's something so remarkable about knowing that with the smallest form of digital technology, we can all access Facebook, the same MIT Open Courseware. Let me even talk about MIT Open Courseware because when I, why I believe so much in the web was that when I wasn't sure of what I was going to do with myself, I wasn't watching an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and CNN was on. And then there was an ad for code.org on there. And when I saw that ad for code.org, Zuckerberg, Gates, some other people in tech were talking about how coding is the future. And I was like, oh my God, I think I have found my thing. I got my mother's iPad and I was like, I don't even know what to, what to do. But then I Googled like Python like course or something and MIT open course where it came out. And just to know that like MIT, literally MIT has made a catalog of their courses really available online. And I go to their intro to Python class. And then literally they instruct you on how to type hello world because hello world is like your initiation into the tech cult. And once I typed it, I was like, oh my God, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. My sister, who's like the sister that follows me, she's like, I remember that night I was sleeping and you were like, we're going to make websites. And she was so confused. Like, why is this girl telling me we're going to make websites? 
But that's why I'm just like, whatever you have, be like Lee Kuan Yew, like take the next step, make the best of your circumstance and continue to taking steps that lead you in the direction of where you want to go. Because best believe the HBO writer in charge of your life is writing a story that you can't even conceive. So just take the next step. Boom. God, I am psyched to take on this week. Okay, let's talk about failure number three then. Because I feel like this is a powerful nugget that we haven't yet spoken about. Not being patient enough with your parents. Okay, so when I was younger, I grew up in a culture where like they really wanted sons. And I was the first girl and I was always very good at school. So I was never good at spelling, was always good at math. I was so good at math that they used to make me do spelling bees. I wouldn't say shit, but they were like, you know, your kids, they're like, this girl is smart. Let her do a spelling bee. And my brother wasn't nearly as good with school. He he just didn't he just didn't care. You know, interest as kids, he preferred playing video games. And so from an early age, hi, my framework for the world was that mommy and daddy have a job, which is like to get money and to take care of the family. And the kids have jobs, which is to do well in school. And I'm clearly doing my job better than my brother. Why did he want another one of my brother? And then I was in Nigeria and I was going to a school called Fontage. And there was this girl, she was from Pakistan in my school. And I didn't have a nuanced understanding of race, but I knew she was fairer. She was a very fair black Pakistani girl. And I knew in the spectrum of race, she was closer to white than black. Like, I'm just telling you my understanding at 10 years old. She was closer to white than black. I knew she was not European. I couldn't tell how I knew that. So why is she in Nigeria when she could be in, like, London, which was, like, London was, like, literally the land of, like, fucking milk and honey. Like, why aren't you in London where everybody goes to? And one day I just asked her because, you know, kids, we just ask stupid questions. And she's like, well, my dad said in my country I wouldn't be allowed to go to school. And then I was like, oh, my God, I knew that used to happen in some poor parts of Nigeria, but I couldn't understand that that could happen in other parts of the world. What fell? Something probably fell. And I knew that could happen in poor parts of Nigeria, but I didn't know that could happen in poorer parts of the world. And I was like, if she's fair and I'm dark, and does that mean that like there are other parts of the shades in between where this happens? It just like was such a cosmic experience for me. And I think just seeing my parents want sons and treat like want sons so badly wasn't my parents. It was whatever. And to know that lots of other adults felt that way, it just made me from an early age know that the adults around me were not very intelligent. And it wasn't that they were stupid, but like I was like, these people are clearly not using their brains nearly as well. And that's where like from an early age, I was like always a rebel because I was like, these adults, your brains are meant to be like working better than mine. But even I could tell you I'm doing my job better. You should want another one of me. And then just so from an early age, I don't think I think there's a certain level of patience that I should have had for my parents. Because now like read a lot of history books. And I don't think I think for people who are brought up in the digital era, we forget how transformative the past 60 years have been on the world. My dad was born into a Nigeria that was still under British colonial rule. And today, like, he got to see, like, when I joke, it just went through so much, like the Biafran War, all of that. And now I'm just like, okay, this is why the adults around you are a little bit crazy. And I think I want to have kids one day and I'm going to have them one day. And even though I know I'll be an insanely wealthy woman with lots of resources that can give them a great life, I'll probably mess them up in some ways. I probably would just, they will have something to complain about. And I hope they'll be patient with me. But more than anything, now that I read a little bit about history and now that I'm like, and I know more about my parents, you know, when you're a child, your parents are mommy and daddy. I don't think we have a conception that like they exist outside mommy and daddy. Like it's just like when, when you see a teacher outside school, you're like, I thought you just stayed in school. I didn't know you did something outside school. Now that I know actually more about how life was for them growing up, their different family dynamics. I'm just like, I get why you're a little messed up. I get it. Mm. I get why you're like not, you are not the perfect parent. And maybe I should have needed to understand that. Maybe I should have understood that earlier. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. I kind of feel though that like parents are just doing their best. Like the older I get, the more I realize that like you, you look at an adult when you're a kid and you're like, they've got their shit together, <laughs> you know, like, like they're an adult. And you always get asked that question when you're a kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up and stuff? And you're like, I want to be like dad or mom or whatever. And, and, and then the older you get, the more you realize that they actually really don't 
have all the answers that you thought they did. And, and that's okay. And likely it is, you won't either when you have kids. And there's this cycle of trying to live up to the person that you want to be and always trying to improve. But, but, you know, there's this kind of never ending process of maybe not quite being the person you want to be for the people that want you to be that person, if that makes sense. And no, it does. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough lesson to learn, but also really important to, to, I'm in that process right now where you're kind of apologizing to your parents for how you treated them, which is a really weird situation to be in. It's also weird when you become your parents' friend, where they're like, okay, like, you know, when you're like kid, I always joke, ask my mother, was it easier when we were younger versus now? She's like, it's easier when you, now, because if you guys don't want to shower for like a week, I'm not going to do anything. When you're a child, like, they're like, if you don't shower for, like, a day, they feel like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible parent. But now they're like, oh, my child is just a little bit of an idiot and doesn't want to, like. <laughs> and I think another thing is that because due to, like, my life circumstance, I've been very forward moving. Like, I've been very, I have a direction and I move forward with choices based on that direction. Mm. I don't I don't think I had a, a very, I don't, I don't think I had that much patience for people who did things according to societal customs and societal expectations. And now that like I'm an adult, I thought it was like a generation thing, but I still see a lot of like, people in my generation living based off of whether it's new traditions or old ones, just doing what's expected of them. So I realized that it's not a generation thing versus like a human thing, that there are some humans who are far better with the uncertainty of life. And while some other ones, they prefer like what was what is tradition is to give the next generation a guidebook so that you don't have to relearn all the lessons you've relearned, you've learned. And I wish, I wish for my parents, they, they knew that they had more choices in their hands. Like they didn't need to live the way people around them needed and wanted them to live. And even if that meant like I had less, fewer siblings, like I love my siblings, but if that meant I didn't exist, okay, sure, like whatever. But like, I, I hate the fact that I know that a lot of my parents' life choices were based off of like societal expectations. And unfortunately, I know my parents are not perfect, but I love those people. And I wish they had like more freedom while growing up. And if they had more freedom, I feel like they would have been better parents because I think they would have been happy, happier with their life circumstances. But I think right now, it's not just that I'm apologizing to my parents, but I read Man's, Man's Search for Meeting. And in the beginning of the book, he talks about how he didn't... So this is Viktor Frankl before Nazis really invaded, I think it was Germany. And he was trying to... He had a visa to go to America and he was trying to figure out, should he leave um, Germany because his family is there, his ailing parents are there, or should he go to America and save himself? Because at that point, he kind of knew everything was going downhill. And then one day he goes to meet his dad, and that's after a couple of days after they've destroyed one of the temples there, and he sees a piece of tile there, and he asks his dad, what is this piece of tile? He was like, it's one of the things from the temple. And he was like, what was on that tile was honored that your mother, your father, and your days will be long, like one of the commandments. And he was like, you know what, that's why I'm going to stay here and be with them, with them till the end. My last responsibility as a good child is to be there for my parents till they, till they leave the start. My parents are not perfect, but they really did try their best. And if I am not there for them, it's not a feeling on their part, it's a feeling on my part. And so not only am I like apologizing to them, maybe not apologizing because our dynamic is one where we annoy each other. But like the way my penance is to make sure that whatever risk of life they have on this planet, I'm going to be the best daughter I can be. And it's and that is no reflection on their parenting, but on my being a child of theirs. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. Very well put. We'll have to send the podcast episode to them so they no, can... I'll go and talk them downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Before I round this episode off with your final question, where can people find you to ask you anything about this episode? I am always chisomigui underscore on Twitter, but I'm, I'm actually really active on YouTube. So leave a comment on anything on YouTube and I'll probably be more responsive over there. So just chisomigui, C-H-I-S-O-M, chisom, I-G-W-E-I-G-U-E. And yeah, that's where you can find me. And just add me if you want to try power to the creator. But more than anything, I just like meeting like-minded people. So if anything like deeply resonated with you, let me know and then we can follow each other. Yeah. Awesome. Are you ready for your final question? Go, go ahead. I'm always ready. What is your next failure going to be? 
Ooh, my next failure is going to be. It wouldn't be a. F- what is my next failure going to be? I don't mind failing at my startup. That sounds so wrong, but I'm going to push it to the bitter end. Like I feel like one thing I need to learn to do is to put out shitty products to the web, even if they're not good. And this is my first one. So I think my next failure is going to be a feature on Power to the Creator that doesn't work as expected or doesn't resonate as deeply. And then I'll just have to dust, my st- dust myself off and move on to the next one. So if, if I had to be a failure, it is preparing myself to know all the features I build won't be won't deeply resonate. And that's fine. But we just move on to the next one. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to episode 51 of Webflow. And thanks so much to Chisum for coming on the podcast. This episode makes me want to go and make a dent in the universe by taking on challenges that others think are insurmountable. She's so inspiring. Chisum's approach to life is one of taking on challenges in the full knowledge that she may fail. She talks about constantly breaking your ideas of what's possible by pushing your comfort zone in everything you do and how the internet allows you to bend the world to your desires. How does this relate to you as a webflower? Well, you may be starting to make websites and you might be like, wow, the gap between where I am now and where I want to be is huge. And you may be full of self-doubt and you may just be thinking, what's the point? What's the point? Well, I'll tell you what the point is. The point is that you are simply on a journey of discomfort in order to continually improve and get to where you want to be. You need to make a lot of bad websites. You need to make a lot of freelance mistakes. You need to struggle for a while in order to make great work and be a successful freelancer. And by making work on the internet, your geographical and social limitations can be blown out the water, as Cheesem explains. So make, make, make from wherever you are, at whatever stage you're currently at. The constant struggle is going to make you resilient and you are going to get to where you want to go over time. But you need to trust the process. Most people give up too early. So embrace the bad wig dojo cat phase to be the multi-platinum dojo cat you are meant to be. Next week's episode is with young Dutch powerhouse Ilya van Eck who will be explaining his award-winning Webflow mentality, how he deals with freelancer stress and his approach to niching as a freelancer. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, send it to a friend who's a Webflower who might benefit from it as well. Who knows? But in the meantime, have a great week, Webflowers. See you next week for episode 52 of Webflow with Ilya Van Eck.